I have a serious question. Where are my Lord of the Rings fans at? Well, here's the deal. If you just cheered, one of two things is true. Either you are homeschooled or you went to Christian college. So. Now, if, if you like Lord of the Rings, you can put that on the list of reasons that you grew up as a Christian kid in the 90s. There's a couple other things that you could add to the list, right? Wearing a WWJD bracelet or youth group games that always ended in a trip to the ER. Anybody remember those? Or um, playing too much Settlers of Catan. Or uh, my favorite, Michael W. Smith karaoke nights. But let's go back to Lord of the Rings. If you've uh, watched the movies, read the books, do you know the character Samwise Gamgee? Samwise wasn't anything special. He didn't have a special power or special ability. He was just a gardener, but he did have a gift to give, and the gift was friendship, particularly to the young hobbit Frodo Baggins. Frodo had the unbearable responsibility to carry the ring all the way to Mount Doom and destroy it. And Frodo said, it would be the death of you to come with me, Sam. And I could not have borne that. But Samwise replied, I know that well enough, Mr. Frodo, and I'm coming with you. And if you've seen the movie, you know the scene. They arrive at the base of Mount Doom. Frodo can't continue. Samwise can't carry the ring, but what can he do? He can throw Frodo over his shoulders and hike the mountain. And that's the moment when we're watching the movie that we instantly get a piece of dust in our eye and have to get our Kleenex and because that strikes us, doesn't it? We see that account, we put ourselves in the shoes of Frodo and think, I want a friend like Samwise Gamgee, a friend that's loyal, a friend that's faithful, even unto death, that's continually encouraging. Because we don't just want friends, we need friends. That's part of what it means to be created in God's image. That goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. If you read Genesis 1, over and over again, God says that his creation is good. The last verse of Genesis 1, God says his creation is very good. And then all of a sudden we get to Genesis 2.18, and the Lord said, something's not good. It is not good for Adam to be alone. Adam was incomplete without Eve. When you read the text, you can see the joy that filled Adam as he meets the pinnacle of God's creation, his wife, Eve. Now, this text in Genesis 2 does not mean that you reflect less of God's image if you're single. This text doesn't mean that the only way to find fulfillment relationally is in marriage. Instead, this text reminds me, I hope it reminds you, you that God created us for community. He created us to be interdependent. We need each other. And that desire, that need, that relational tank is filled in many ways, not just in marriage. We all need friends like Samwise. Young Adults is a relational greenhouse. I'm convinced that if you're looking for friends, of a similar mindset, of a similar life stage, you can't find a better place in central Wisconsin than being here on a Monday night. 
but at the same time, then I'm, I'm surprised how often I hear you tell me or one of our staff or one of our leaders, I don't have any friends. I don't have enough friends. My friendship tank is empty. Or how many of you are, are thinking or feeling, my social battery is on low. You there? You ever been there? How can we be part of a community like this with access to relationships that many would dream of and say, I don't have any friends. I don't have the relationships that I want. Why? Two reasons. Here's the first. There's a spiritual barrier. Your spiritual enemy, Satan, knows that you need relationships, that you need people, and he keeps you isolated, he wins. And when your social battery is running on low, you don't have the conversation that you need, and you spiral. We might face spiritual opposition to developing the relationships we need and but I think there's another reason. Sometimes we spend too much time looking in the mirror. Sometimes we spend too much time thinking about ourselves and, and think, why aren't they better friends to me? Why isn't someone coming and sitting next to me? Why, why aren't there people being loyal and faithful in my life? Where are my Samwise Gamgees? And we become fixated on ourselves. That's not the solution. Instead, if there's one thing that you remember tonight, it's this. If you want a friend, you have to be a friend. And I'm so thankful for the wisdom of Solomon. If you walked in the door tonight expecting to uh, find a, a cheat sheet for finding relationships, you came to the wrong place. But instead, what we're going to find in the book of Proverbs tonight is that Solomon gives us wisdom on how we can be a friend. Because if we want friends, we need to be a friend. So we're going to bounce around a little bit in Proverbs tonight. We're going to start in Proverbs 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Remember, there's a couple different ways that we can study Proverbs. The first nine or so chapters, the themes flow by paragraph. You could read a whole chapter and it has the same idea. Then once we get to chapter 10, everything changes. Everything is sporadic and there seems to be no cohesiveness because there isn't. So when you study Proverbs starting in chapter 10, you pick a theme. Tonight, the theme that we've selected is friendship. We find all the relevant Proverbs we can find on that theme and then we study them. So that's why we'll be bouncing around a little bit to try to develop a big picture of friendship in the Bible. We want to learn friendship in God's world by God's rules. That's our goal tonight. So let's start with Proverbs 13, verse 20. Solomon writes this, "'Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm.'" Now flip over to the right, Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, 
nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. If we put these two passages together, they say something similar, don't they? Choose your friends wisely. That's our first principle tonight, if you're taking notes, is choose wisely. We've seen this principle in our lives, haven't we? We become our closest friends. We, ad- we adopt the habits, the mannerisms, the hobbies, the interests, the values even, of those that we surround ourselves with. For uh, an entirely positive example, let me talk about my wife, Hannah. You'll see why it's entirely positive in just a moment. We've been married for a little over five years, and when Hannah and I got married, she was what we would call a Minnesota Vikings troll, not a fan of troll. She couldn't name anyone on the team, but when the Packers and the Vikings played, she knew how to get under my skin. But some things have changed in the last five years. I've seen her soften. Some of you have been joining me in praying for her conversion. Thank you. (laughs) She got to experience Lambo for the first time this year in a Packers sweatshirt, by the way. The Packers played a playoff game a couple weeks ago, and we were watching on our couch, and she was cheering and giving me high fives. When you see our boys wear Packers gear, it's not because I dressed them. Things are changing. The other night while she was sleeping, I heard her chanting, go pack, go in her sleep. (laughs) Okay, everything was true except that. You know, and if you knew me before we got married, um, if you ask my family, I'm an entirely different person today than I was when we got married. Hannah's influenced me. I'm a thrifting backpacker who cultures his own kefir and makes curry, four things that would have been impossible five years ago. And if you know my wife, you know that I married way, way out of my league. She's incredible. But it's interesting how you begin to influence one another, something that's going to just continue for the rest of our marriage. But understand the principle. We become those that we surround ourselves with. So who's in your closest circle? Who have you surrounded yourself with? If we had to select criteria, what would it be? What's the most important thing for who's in our inner circle? The people that know us best, the ones who see the cracks and crevices, the, one who ask, the ones who ask us the hard questions. What's the number one criteria? It's got to be the relationship with Christ, isn't it? We have to choose friends who value Jesus in the same way that we do. Hands down, that is the most important criteria. We have to be aligned spiritually. And let's just think about a couple specific relationships in your life. Some of you tonight are married. Some of you maybe are looking ahead to marriage in the future. And if your spouse influences you more than any other person, it's imperative that you choose to marry someone who knows Christ. Now, there's a chance some of you are married to someone who doesn't know Christ. And Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 7 to stay in the marriage that we're in. What do you do? You pray often that the Lord would soften your spouse toward him. But if you're single, you're dating, you're engaged, 
this text reminds me of the value of choosing a spouse. I know some of you have a, uh, a secret or a not-so-secret list of the things you're looking for in a future spouse. Anyone have one of those? Don't put your hand in the air. <laughs> well, let me rewind seven years and reveal three of the things that were on my list, and your uh, perspective of me is instantly going to drop. Number one, <laughs> I didn't want to marry someone who was homeschooled. <laughs> I find that really ironic now because we are probably going to homeschool our kids. Don't tell my wife I said that out loud. <laughs> it's okay. She's live streaming at home, so she just heard that. Number two, I wasn't going to marry a Vikings fan. And uh, number three, I wasn't going to marry someone who loved horses. So... <laughs> Hannah, my wife, was homeschooled all the way through high school. Uh, she, as you know, is a Vikings troll, and her horse was her first boyfriend. <laughs> it's funny. The Lord has a sense of humor. And the funny part is those three things are incredibly petty and terribly insignificant. The most important thing when choosing a spouse is their relationship with the Lord doesn't matter if they go to church. That's not your first question. I'm not asking that you check their dating profile, make sure they check the Christian box. No, you're looking for something far deeper. Has Jesus transformed their life? Is he or she running hard after Jesus? Is Jesus the savior and king of their life? Those questions are so much more important than, am I attracted to him? Does she cheer for the same team? Does he have a six-figure salary? There's a chance that some of you have misplaced priorities as you think of the criteria for a future spouse. Jesus and character are of far more importance than attraction and hobbies. Why is it important that you and your spouse are aligned spiritually? Well, you don't have to look any farther than King Solomon. Solomon did not follow his own advice. He allowed those who influenced him more than anyone to have a completely divergent worldview. And what happened? Well, 1 Kings 11, verse 4, says this. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Don't make the same mistake that Solomon made. Choose wisely. Young adult women, do not settle for a guy who does not love Jesus with his whole heart. Gentlemen, do not settle for a woman who you might think is attractive but does not love Jesus with her whole heart. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's a future spouse, whether it's your closest friends, we have to choose our friends wisely. It's better to be alone on a Friday night than allow yourself to be influenced by the wrong people. So that's first. For our second, look at Proverbs 18, verse 24. Proverbs 18, verse 24. It's the last verse of chapter 18. 
A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have this internal desire to be liked, to be popular. We ask questions like, how many friends do I have on Facebook? Well, at least that's what we asked a decade ago. Half of you don't even know what Facebook is. Maybe you ask questions like, how many snap streaks do I have? How many views does my TikTok have? Is it, how many followers do I have on Instagram? Is it possible to know everyone but not be known by anyone? Is it possible to have relationships that run a mile wide and an inch deep? Social media has certainly catered to that, hasn't it? Don't allow your relationships to run a mile wide and an inch, an inch deep. A friend who sticks closer than a brother or a sister is a deep friendship, and that's the kind of friend we should look for, the kind of friend that we should strive to be. Did you see the word, notice the word sticks in verse 24? There's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It reminds me of uh, one of my favorite food groups, peanut butter. A food I love to eat and I hate to clean. Not sure if you've ever made a smoothie with peanut butter in it before. How long does it take to clean out the blender on average? Like three or four hours? It is so annoying. So I just let it sit there and soak for three days until I have the (laughs) courage to clean it up. That makes my wife very happy when I do that. We need to be friends who look a lot like peanut butter. We need to be sticky friends, friends who don't bail on relationships when the friend moves away. We don't bail on friendships when schedules get full, when life season changes, or even when friends try to push us away because of sin in their life. We need to be sticky friends. That's number two, love loyally. Love loyally. Do you have a sticky friend? Do you have a loyal friend? If you do, I want you to, to, I want you to do two things this week. First, I want you to thank the Lord. Having a friend like that is not a given, and it's a gift. And we should get really good at thanking the one from whom every good gift comes from. That's the Lord. So just thank him. And the second thing I want you to do is I want you to thank your friends. Thank them for being a good friend, for being a sticky friend. Point out ways in their life that they've specifically pointed you to Christ. Let them know how much their friendship has meant to you. Now, others of us, maybe many here tonight, don't have that friend that sticks closer than a brother. And it's tempting to look out the window and ask, why aren't people being loyal to me? Why aren't they being faithful to me? The pain of longing for a friend and not having one is real. Or the pain of having a friend who bails on you or ghosts you is real. Maybe you've been pleading with the Lord for weeks, for months, for years to give you that kind of friend, and you still don't have one. That's a real pain. What do you do? Don't stop praying. Keep asking the Lord for that relationship. But as you pray, remember, to have friends, you have to be a friend. And instead of looking for people to be loyal to you, find ways to be loyal to others. True friendship, it doesn't happen on my terms. It doesn't happen when it's convenient for me. It doesn't happen always when I want to engage or when I get something out of the deal. Being a loyal friend requires intentionality. 
friendship. It's not convenient, comfortable, or cheap. Loyalty. We need to be loyal friends even in the midst of change. Seasons change in our life, don't they? And young adults is a a season of change for many of you. Sometimes you can go from single, engaged, married to expecting in the span of 18 months. Things change. But when our season changes, what what do we do about our relationships? What do we do about our friends? Our staff has heard a number of you say things like, I, I, I don't know how to be friends with my married friends anymore. I just feel like I'm a third wheel. Or maybe a married couple will say, I, what do I do with my single friends? It, it's not the same as it used to be. Has anyone felt that tension before? And we haven't really helped with the tension because we changed our life group model. And we put you in groups with the people that are in the same life stage. And that has meant there have been really successful life groups, but that hasn't helped us learn how to engage with people at a different stage of life. It's a shadow side, isn't it? So if you're married, I have a request. Don't bail on your friends that are single. Invite them over. It's okay for them to third wheel. Do not make them uncomfortable. It's really awkward. And if you're single, don't bail on your friends that are married. Push through some of the awkwardness and uncomfortability. Those relationships are just as valuable now as they were six months ago or a year ago. Push through the tension and continue to be loyal in that relationship. We need to be loyal in our conversations with one another. One of the reasons our relationships stay here is that we're, uh, we're content with having conversations about very surface-level things. We talk about a uh, Taylor Swift Super Bowl. We talk about the upcoming elections. We talk about our jobs. But we miss the opportunity to have deeper conversations about what God's doing in our life, about challenges that we're facing, about trials we walk through. Sometimes all it takes is one question, one deeper question. What's God been teaching you lately? How can I be praying for you? Are you sure that you're okay? Because it doesn't seem like you're okay. Sometimes all we need to do is press in just a little bit to not be content with the surface. That takes loyalty in our conversations. We also need to be loyal in the midst of trials and pain. That's Proverbs 17, 17. Look at that verse with me. A friend loves at all times, and a brother's born for adversity. I love the word all in that passage. It's a picture of godly friendship. A true true friend's not hot and cold. A true friend's not there only when it's convenient. A friend loves at all times. And we can figure out who our true friends are when we're walking through the fire. Fair weather friends are like fair weather fans. They cheer, they buy merchandise. They're there when things are going great. But when they're not doing well, they find another team. You and I need to be friends that lean in, don't run away in the midst of adversity. We need to double down on a relationship when our friend is going through a trial. Just consider what some of those trials might be. You and I might have friends who walk through grief. Have you ever tried to walk through grief with someone? It's really hard. 
and rarely are we very good at it. Because as Americans, generally speaking, we like to be fixers. We need to do something. So our friend's walking through grief, and what do we do? We make a donation, we buy flowers, we write a card, we go to the funeral, and then we move on. We checked the box, we did our obligation, and we move on. And if you've ever been on the other side of grief, you know everybody else moves on a lot faster than you do. So if we want to be a faithful friend in the midst of grief, we're in it for the long haul, not for weeks, not for months, for years, continuing to check in and encourage and pray in the midst of grief. How about pain? Have you ever had the opportunity to visit a friend in the hospital before? It's really hard. But when we can enter in and pray together in the moment that none of us want to find ourselves in, it means the world to people. Don't be afraid to enter into the pain that someone else is walking to. Or how about sin? Do you have any friends that are struggling with sin in their life? Well, I hope so, because that's kind of all of us, right? But when someone's struggling, it can be messy, it can be painful. Bearing the burden of sin for a brother or sister is not easy, because change, it happens slowly. Sometimes that sanctification process, becoming more like Jesus in our life, it's that two steps forward, one step back. So if we're walking with a brother or a sister, helping them overcome a, a sin pattern or a sinful addiction in their life, Growth doesn't always look like this, does it? And when this happens, we're tempted to throw in the towel and say, you've got to find someone else to help you out here. I'm done. No, we need to be faithful friends who don't throw in the towel. We need to love our friends where they're at, but love them enough not to leave them there. Don't tolerate or affirm the sin in their life, but don't bail at the sight of it. Encourage and empower consistent growth. Or how about this? We need to be loyal through wounds. Have you ever been wounded by a friend before? Friends hurt friends. Fiancés hurt fiancés. Spouses hurt spouses. Roommates hurt roommates. I wish none of those statements were true, but the reality is we're broken people, and the closer that someone gets to me the more they're going to see my faults and failures. So we have an option. We can pretend to be perfect while keeping people at an arm's length, never letting them in. Or when we open the door of our heart and allow that friend to come in and see those faults and failures, there's going to be some times where we hurt one another. But the value of real friendship is worth the pain that we might cause or we might experience we must be faithful friends who are quick to extend forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness. That's Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. How else could we translate covering an offense? If we had to summarize that in one word, what would it be? Forgive. Forgive. When a brother or sister hurts us when they sin against us, we have two choices. We can cover the offense, we can forgive, or Proverbs says we can repeat the matter. What's another word for repeat the matter? Gossip. 
Those are two very different options, aren't they? But gossip is easy and attractive. Sounds like this. You won't believe what happened. Could you believe that he did this? You know, I really love him, but you would not believe what they said. It is so easy for us to talk about one another behind each other's backs. But when we forgive someone, we won't hold their sin against them. We won't bring it up again. We won't dangle it over their head. We won't talk about it with other people. Or we can gossip. In 10 seconds, gossip can destroy a relationship that has taken 10 years to build. It kills relationships. And we have to work hard to avoid it and even shut it down in conversations. So instead of talking about how our friends hurt us, we need to be quick to forgive. That's our next principle tonight. Forgive repeatedly. Forgive repeatedly. Our motivation for forgiveness is in the cross, isn't it? Jesus died for us. He offered forgiveness to us while we were his enemies. Forgiving every sin that we've committed ever, the moment that we place our faith in Christ. And if you know Christ, you've experienced the greatest imaginable forgiveness, and now you have the opportunity to extend that forgiveness to others. But if we're honest, forgiveness is hard, isn't it? Forgiving repeatedly? There's a chance that (laughs) you've been hurt by someone that's in this room tonight. Maybe they're across your table. Maybe you live with them. You've got a choice. You can gossip, you can hold on to bitterness in your heart, or you can choose to forgive. And extending forgiveness is something that you do even before they ask. That's the path forward in friendship. Is it hard? Absolutely. But it doesn't get any easier Look at Proverbs 27, 17. It says this, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Last I heard, dull knives are actually more dangerous than sharp knives. You heard that before? Apparently, it's because you push down so hard on the dull knife, it doesn't cut through whatever you're trying to cut that it slips. You cut your finger and you wander to urgent care to get stitches. But how do you sharpen a knife? Well, with another piece of metal. Grinding it continually so that it it sharpens. That is not a very pretty picture, is it? That process of being sharpened is not a comfortable one. It's not a pleasant one. But we need that type of friend so that we can be receptive to correction. That's our next principle. Embrace correction humbly. Embrace correction humbly. What I want to hear is not always the same as what I need to hear. I am not always right, and neither are you. We need to be people who welcome constructive criticism in our life, to ask for feedback, to humbly welcome rebuke, instead of just surrounding ourselves with a bunch of cheerleaders. We need to surround ourselves with mentors, with coaches who want to see us grow to look more like Christ. You should still be in Proverbs uh, 27. Look at verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love 
Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. When was the last time that you invited a friend into your life to speak truth about anything? When was the last time you asked a friend, accountability partner, a spouse, questions like, what are some blind spots that you see in my life? How can I serve and love better? What are some areas that you see for growth? Are there sins that you're seeing in my life that I'm not seeing? Do you ask anyone those type of questions? That's gutsy, isn't it? That's really hard. I think the harder thing is then biting our tongue and actually listening and receiving the correction. Do you have a mentor in your life? Good, you need one. But have you given that mentor open season? Do you allow them to speak truth into any area of your life? And then do you actually receive and apply their feedback? If not, your mentor relationship is worthless. We need to be humble to accept correction and welcome people into our life to provide that honest feedback. Is it hard? Absolutely. But we need people that sharpen us. Think of Proverbs 19, verse 6. Last one for tonight. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Well, if you're with us last week, our last principle is going to sound familiar, give generously. Our final principle. We talked about being generous towards God's mission. That's not what we're talking about tonight. Instead, Proverbs reminds us to be quick to share with our friends, whether it's buying someone lunch, having somebody over for a nice meal, random acts of kindness, intentional and gracious generosity. Even the small things can go a long way in building the bridge of friendship, not a bribe, not as a way to get something in return, but as a way to share what God has given you. So five things tonight. Choose wisely, love loyally, loyally, forgive repeatedly, embrace correction humbly, and give generously. That's friendship in God's world by God's rules. But did you notice none of them have anything to do with interests? They have nothing to do with hobbies, popularity. Our common foundation in friendship through the Holy Spirit builds a bond that's deeper than any connection in sports, jobs, or hobbies. So where do we start? With a simple prayer. Father, how can I be a faithful friend this week? Even before we ask that God gives us friends, let's first ask that he might show us how to be a friend. I want to finish with a story. Maybe a couple of you have heard this before. I graduated from college in 2015 and took a job at a church in Southern California. I knew almost no one. And as a 22-year-old college kid moving across the country, it's kind of daunting taking my first ministry job. But at the same time, I was taking seminary classes part-time online through a school in Kentucky. I didn't want to waste any time to get my degree started. I wanted to just keep that educational thing flowing. So I started right away in the fall of 2015. And one of the first classes that I took was called Personal Spiritual Disciplines with a guy named Dr. Whitney. It's a great class. And I'm so glad I had it first in seminary because it had nothing to do about being a good pastor and everything to do about being a good Christ follower and growing in our love for him. 
But one of the things in the course that was required was that you needed to get an accountability partner. You needed to read through this Randy Alcorn book called The Purity Principle, and you needed to meet like seven times and talk about the book. And I'll be honest, I was not happy. I almost emailed the professor. Do you know that I'm moving to California to a new place where I don't move any, or I don't know anybody? Like accountability is not something that should be forced. It should be natural. I didn't have a good attitude. Um, so I still want to pass the class. So I thought, I'll just go through the hoops. I'll make this happen, whatever. So there's a guy that I met while I was interviewing. He was the drummer in the band. And we hit it off. And I thought, oh, may maybe. Just maybe this will work. So it's my second week out there. And we go out to B-dubs one night, just the two of us. And, you know, probably an hour into the dinner, I said, you know, this is probably awkward. It's a little uncomfortable. But I need an accountability partner for my seminary class. And I don't... I don't really want to do this, but just wondering if you could help me out, do me a favor. Maybe we could meet once a week for a little bit, and you can help me check this box. And I will never forget what he said. He looked at me and said, this is exactly what I've been praying for. And my heart sunk. I thought, well, my motivation sucked. <laughs> <laughs> but the Lord used that class and that relationship to be exactly what I needed in a very transitional season of my life. And I ended up being the best man in his wedding. Just a really valuable relationship. The Lord knows what you need. He does. But sometimes that relationship is already right in front of you. Sometimes that person is already in your life. Sometimes we're looking for someone to walk in the door when they're already sitting across from us at our table. So instead of asking, Lord, who are you going to bring into my life this week? Let's ask the Lord, who can I be a faithful friend to this week? Let's pray. Father, you've created us for community. Uh, first and foremost, community relationship with you. And uh, what a beautiful thing to love you and to know you and to be adopted into your family. But we also know that you've created us for community with one another. We know the enemy doesn't like community. Uh, he wants us to stay isolated. And Father, give us the wisdom and the diligence, the perseverance to push back against the enemy and fight for the relationships that you know that we need. So Father, just give us a picture this week of how we can be better friends, more faithful friends, more loyal friends to one another. Guide our time in our life groups tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.